those of you who may not know, this is Vision Sunday. This is a time where we can together kind of unpack what God has done, what he's currently doing, and what he's about to do. Um, and so that's why we're here together. Um, she's my security blanket. I'm going to rely mostly upon her uh, to speak. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> um, but we're going to get right into it. Um, how many are here this morning for the first time? Raise your hand. Welcome. Welcome. First timers. How many are here for the second time? Raise your hand. Okay, if you're, I'm not going to clap for you if you're here for the third time, because if you're here for the third time, you should just make this place your home, okay? So, no, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. But, well, welcome everybody um, to Hilltop Church, and uh, privileged that you're here with us today as we get to talk about um, the vision of this uh, church. Um, I think it would be appropriate if first we kind of briefly spell out some of the history of the church, because I think Michelle shared that this church has not been in existence for for 10 years. It's only been in existence, I think we're entering into the third year. Um, But J-Hop, which is, uh, you know, it's a house of prayer, and I know that some of you may not get that language, like, what is a house of prayer? I I understand, we don't have time to unpack it, but essentially, just simply, um, we first came in to do work in the city as, uh, or in the respects of prayer. We came as a praying community. And that continues and has been going on for 10 years. But I think it'd be appropriate, um, especially for those who are maybe a little bit new uh, to um, Hilltop and maybe J-Hop, that we give a little context for that, kind of spell out the history briefly. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Let's have Bethany. (laughs) I say that. Hold on. There's a reason for that. Bethany actually was the one who planted the house of prayer. I did not have anything to do with it other than I came in every once in a while to serve it. So really... What we experience today, what we have today, is only because of this woman's um, labor and consistency to struggle and to plant. Um, Real struggle. <laughs> so, for those of you, and actually you should look into this, if you're not familiar with an organization called The Call, um, there's actually The Call in Azusa that's going to be happening on um, April 9th. So really our history as a ministry was really born out of the call. Daryl and I were very involved um, in 2000 in Washington, D.C. There was a National Solemn Assembly, and then there was a call in 2001 in Boston. So if you can imagine 40,000 people packed into government center. Oh, was it 70? Um, that's a lot of people out in government center worshiping. Um, and honestly, it was, it was one week after 9-11 took place. And obviously, there was a lot of fear and panic over issues of like large gatherings and things like that. And so um, there was actually a lot of people in the body of Christ that were trying to tell Lou that he should cancel it and that he was putting people's safety in jeopardy. We actually thought that no one was going to come. I remember helping him unload like, uh, equipment when he was getting out of his car. He was like, no one's going to come to this. Everything's calling me. <laughs> 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 I mean, it was flooded with people. Flooded. So 2001, um, and then there was a series of calls, which are basically solemn assemblies to pray and fast for the nation. But what happened from that is Lou really felt like wherever the call went, kind of these moments of 12 hours of praying and fasting, that there would be then a house of prayer that was planted for sustained breakthrough. Um, And so he planted a house of prayer in D.C. For those of you that are familiar with J-Hop in D.C., Bound for Life, they've been out there. This is their 11th year. They planted one year before us. They've 
been out with life tape on their mouth in front of the Supreme Court for 11 years. They've had teams standing there. Sometimes it's just one person standing there, um, but they're praying for the ending of abortion. And as many of you know, the, the landscape even of that issue in the church, in the body of Christ, the awareness, the exposure that's come has been phenomenal in the past couple of years. So anyway, in 2000, uh, so they planted in 2005, we were out there for roundtable meetings and Lou was basically saying, let's plant in Boston. Um, at that point, I, you know, and if we'll, another day, if you're ever here when we do prophetic history, um, at that point in time, I really had no um, even bearings for Boston. I was praying for government, and I really strongly was praying for government. But the only time I came to Boston was for the airport. That was the only time I came here was to fly in and out. That was it. So when he told me that he wanted to, like, pray near Harvard, I'm like, I don't know how to get there. I've never been there. (laughs) No, I knew what it was. Um, So long story short... Um, I personally, and this is really the foundation, and we're going to talk about it later, for me personally, the issue of studying New England history and American history and understanding our intended purpose as far as the founding of our nation, I was really praying that once again that there would be a student volunteer missions movement that would come out of the Northeast. And and we'll talk about this later on, um, but just really praying into some of the history and God's ordained purpose. And so I didn't see how it all kind of matched and came together. Um, and the interesting thing is that I was, the year before Lou asked us to plant, I was um, in Redding, California. And mind you, I'd been praying for student volunteer missions movement. I'd actually been praying over a specific campus. It was a vacant campus. It's the foundation. It's actually the well of where Adoniram Judson, anybody ever heard of Adoniram Judson and Hazeltine? They were the first missionaries sent overseas. They were sent to Burma, Burma, India. And so the history of it is in this little town called Bradford, which is the the next town over from where we live, on this campus. And long story short, I'm in Reading, and one of Bill's prophets calls me out, and he actually says, well, one of his (laughs) (laughs) prophets that he... Um, the place I had been praying over, the campus is called Bradford College. But how about this? Being in California, other side of the country, a stranger walks up to me and he says, have you ever heard of a place called Bradford College? As I'm standing there. And I'm like, yeah, because I was prayer walking it three, four times a week at that point. And, you know, obviously I start crying. And he starts saying, he said, you have eyes for the nations of the earth. And he said, and that campus will be the crossroads for revival to the nations of the earth. He prophesied. I didn't hear it until I went to the recording later. And you know what he said? He said, as you see an awakening on the college campuses of Boston, it'll be a catalyst for the next student volunteer missions movement. And he said, the nations of the earth think they're coming to Boston for a degree, but they're not coming for a degree. They're coming for the fire of God. And he basically, he unpacked this whole vision of how the fire of God will go to the nations of the earth almost instantaneously because they've gathered here. And once there's an inbreak of the power of God, it will spontaneously spread. And the interesting thing is for those of you guys that know Banning, um, when Banning was just here, the first time I met Banning, this was before Jesus culture, before he was doing all of that, he was talking in a group of like 50 people and I was there for a meeting and I walked, my flight was late, I walked through the back door 
And as soon as I walked in, he actually said to me, he said, I don't know what your name is. I don't know where you're from. And he said, but I literally saw that it's like you were a flame of fire. And he said, and when God blows upon it, fire encompasses the whole globe. And here, I'm not a flame of fire. <laughs> but really, it's, it's what we're called to do in Boston. It's from the place of Boston. So long story short, all of this takes place. Lou asks us to plant a house of prayer in Boston. I'm going, no, I'm praying for the student volunteer missions movement. I don't know anything about Boston or education. So I decided he asked three times. Finally, the third time, I went on a three-day water fast. And I basically said, God, if you speak to me, I'll do this, but I'm saying no again. I have a plan. I'm going after something. So I'm on my three-day water fast. The Lord reminds me to go back to the word in Reading. And listening to that word was the first time I heard the piece about awakening on the college campuses of Boston. And what I realized was, is I had a vision for something that was like 15, 20 years down the road. And the Lord was saying, no, this is step one. Let's, let's start here. <laughs> and so honestly, we did 40 days, day and night, worship and prayer. Daryl led worship every night. There were teams all day, every day for 40 days. You could just hear worship, like echoing off the buildings in Central Square. Um, and the, Lou's team from D.C. left, I stayed with um, two girls and a young man, and I had no place to house them. We stayed at the MIT dorms, and we prayer walked every day. We had no money. We had no home. (laughs) We had no plan. Lou kept announcing, they're starting a house of prayer, and I kept thinking, where? How? How do you do that? (laughs) And honestly, we just prayed three times a day. We'd circle the campus. We'd seek the Lord. The Lord opened up a property. We moved into it. We lived off of oatmeal for two years. That was fun. So... (laughs) Donated, yeah, my mo- <laughs> expired oatmeal. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And so from there, around 2013, um, we uh, wanted to be more intentional about discipling people and wanting to pastor them. We fought it for a long time, I think. Um, and even the... Um, you know, beginning of starting Hilltop, we didn't even necessarily think it would be a church. Actually, we were being, we were instructed by a good friend of ours, Randy Goldner, to simply not go big and say, oh, we're a church, we're a church, we're a church, and, uh, but to simply start off small and see if the Lord builds the church, or see if the Lord builds family. And that was very helpful for me, because anything like this, much like Bethany started, I was saying, the Lord Bethany, because uh, the kind of onset of the beginnings of Jehovah really laid a solid foundation for us um, as a church of who we are in a few years into it. Um, and the faith, you know, that I witnessed as um, I was involved with Bethany um, relationally, um, just seeing her not knowing um, where it was that they wanted to be planted, not knowing where money was going to come. Seeing her, the house that we have today, having faith for it, but no resources to ultimately get the fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars that was needed to to lock in first, last, and securities. And so, largely, we owe a lot of that kind of beginning group and stages of Hilltop and Jayhawk to Bethany select group of people. I actually think they more than we are today. And that's really, it's really sad because we have a lot of people coming through those doors, but that should inspire us. Um, so anyways, we went into starting a church right out of the House of Prayer, which is right over on uh, Western Half. 
Um, and we simply um, just wanted to gather people around the Word of God, around ministry, and see if the Lord did um, within that framework. And, um, you know, almost three years later, we're here now. Um, some of you were here for those. Actually, if you were in the living room with us, I see the D'Amato's stand up. The D'Amato's were in the living room with us. The Rubel's were... Yeah. <laughs> we call it... The, yeah, you stand up! <laughs> the Rayads, the Fartex. Actually, Anna and Fabiano came during that time. Yeah, yeah Jacob Kim! It's a special breed of people that can come into a living room, right? A living room. And we're all there kind of in rows. Weird. <laughs> Bumping into each other. Have the kids in a back closet, you know?
That's really the core of who we are and what we're going after. Presence, purpose, and people. And so we're going to cut uh, our touch upon these three core values, and we're going to start with presence. If you would, if you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus 33, uh, chapter 33, verse 15. One little verse. And I don't want to be long-winded and um, have to unpack a lot of the context of this chapter, but I love it. Uh, I love this vow that Moses makes before God. Um, Moses says to him, him being God, this is 15, verse 15 of chapter 33, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. We just think about that for a little bit. You know, I think it was Heidi Baker who had talked, or who had come over to the States at one time and had ministered at a, at a mega church in Texas. And it was a large church, thousands of people. And after the service, they had some time together with the pastor. And the pastor was really just happy. And he's like, so Heidi, what did you think of the church? What do you think of the church? And, and, and she just said this, and it's, it's stuck with me. Um, all throughout my life, and certainly in context to being a pastor and leading a ministry. She said, it's amazing what you can do. This is what she says to this mega pastor, who has seen tremendous fruit in their ministry. She said, it's amazing what you guys can do without the presence of God. I'm like, wow. It's amazing what can be done. And, and, And it sticks to me because I never want to rely upon what I can do um, with my skill set, my giftedness. I never want to rely upon that. I never want that to be exalted or that to be what I lean upon when it comes to the presence of God. You know, she was went on a little further to talk about their fog machines and their smoke lights and their nice sound and simply just say, if we don't have the Holy Spirit in Mozambique, we might die. Amen. You know, we don't, we don't have the luxuries of having the nice plush system and a nice plush fog machines and lights. We have to have the presence of God. And so I love that this is really seen in Moses' heart. You know, the context here of when Moses says this to God is on the back of Exodus um, 32, where there is all sorts of chaos happening. The children of Israel, because Moses' delay, is building an idol to worship. (laughs) And all of a sudden, God's tune changes. He said, hey, you need to go down and look at what your people are doing. Prior to that, it, they were God's people. But now that they're doing this, they're, they're Moses' people. And they're, they're doing all this, you know, idol worship because Moses is stoned. And they said, well, we'll just, we'll make something to worship ourselves and make this golden calf. And, and, and I'm sure Moses says this. You know, when, it, when you're a leader, there's so much risk involved. There's so much uh, relational kind of things that you have to navigate with with, with the family, with the people of God, that you really need to trust on the presence of God. And here Moses says, he says, listen, God, there's a lot of chaos down here going on right now. Uh, unless you uh, do not go with us, we want to, just keep me here. I don't want to go into the promised land with these people. So we value the presence of God. Matter of fact, it is like, I think above the, the second two Ps, it's, it's the first it's, it's foundational. Um, I say we will fail at both purpose and with people if we haven't learned to steward, That's to right. pursue, and to make room for the presence of God. Right. No matter what growth we experience, no matter 
what phases we go through. Maybe we'll be that fog machine, machine church. I don't know. God, I'm not against fog machines. But we can never, we can never rely upon them because the, God, God's presence is absence. And so, just a couple of scripture verses that um, speak into this. And, and that's very biblical. In Malachi 1.10, it says this, How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices um, could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. I will not, not accept your offerings. Excuse me. And so, essence, Lord, the Lord's saying, listen, I'm absent. I'm not with you. And it would be better for you to shut the doors of this church, this synagogue, this place of worship, than for you to go on faking it. Yeah. And so that's our heart. Um, the fruit of God's presence, again, uh, is found in Exodus 33, 14. The whole concept of Moses' heart is that he would have rest in the midst of the chaos that is going on in Exodus chapter 32. And God makes that presence... He, uh, he makes that promise, excuse me. He says, my presence will go with you and give you rest. Um, God's pr- presence produces fullness of joy and lasting pleasures. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I don't know. I mean, a church, have you ever gone to a church that just lacks joy? And, 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 and it's not pleasurable to be there at all? Well, it's connected to a far greater issue. And that's the absence of God's presence. That's right. We can't, we, you know, we can't, Scripture can, it cannot be contradicted. I think that would be the way I would want to say that. It's either we have God's presence or we don't. And there are certain things that attribute that God is God, it presence is presence. Uh, within the context of our coming together and meeting together. One is rest. Two, not just joy, fullness of joy. How many of you need some joy? I'm looking at your face. You need to smile a little bit. Need some joy. Uh, and it's pleasurable. It's actually not a weight. It's not a hindrance to come right. to church yeah. on a Sunday. Yeah. It's, not, it's not necessarily uh, arduous and hard to get to a prayer meeting. Why? Because it's pleasurable. The Lord's presence um, and so, I don't want to take too much time. I probably already did. Bethany, you can take the mic and run. <laughs> um, well, I, th- I think, you know, first and foremost, we're starting with presence. But I, I think, like, even starting there and foundationally understanding that, there's a lot of things that you'll understand as far as us as a community and how we function and what we prioritize when you understand. Because, you know, some of it is ministry philosophy. Because if you look at different models for the way people do church, not saying that one is right or one is wrong, sometimes it is very much more people-driven and meeting the needs of people. Whereas you see, like, people are valuable, and we know that they're important to the heart of God. But we we just recognize that if the needs of people are placed above the pursuit of God's presence, it really becomes about man rather than it being about... And I know oftentimes, like, churches, you know, can be critical of one another, kind of like, oh, your worship is so long, and da-da-da-da. But, you know, if you look at and understand that the presence of God is what we value because we know that ultimately that's what you have need of. As people, our city has need of the presence of God, and that is our supreme need. And so, yes, the needs of people are, are, are mixed in there, but it's prioritized after the presence of God. And, you know, two biblical um, references just to give you for the New Testament, if you guys look at the book of Acts, 
everything, the fruitfulness of the, of the book of Acts, as far as the church in the New Testament, it was because of the presence of God. You have an upper room prayer meeting, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's, the, it's because of the Spirit of God that souls were saved. And so oftentimes we can look at growth, church growth strategy or even outreach and evangelism and kind of like how can we do it better and how can we get it right. The really, really the issue in the book of Acts was the presence of God, and that is the model for the New Testament church is be a people baptized in the fire of God. That's exactly what they were in the book of Acts. They were baptized in the fire of God. And then I would encourage all of you to look in the Old Testament is that David established night and day worship and prayer. And there were six subsequent times after that, you may not know this, that night and day worship and prayer was reinstituted. And if you look at those kings and if you look at those time periods when night and day prayer was reinstituted, it invoked a blessing and a favor of God. You can track their military. You can track their finances. You can track their crops. All of society was affected because they prioritized the presence of God. And so you see the blessing that comes. So you see that in the Old and the New Testament. Is, and that is why we are first and foremost a praying community because it's the place of prioritizing the presence of God. So we strongly emphasize, Andy, it's a... Uh, deep conviction of ours to put God first. Essentially, that's what we're saying. You know, uh, something that might speak into it a little bit better is Proverbs 19.21. It says, many are the plans in the mind of men, but it is the purpose of the Lord that stands forever. And so it just, listen, I've been part of tons of church plants. I've seen the backdoor conversations, and there is a lot of plans that happen. Um, and sometimes that's forsaking really ultimately are leaving the place of what does God say? What is God's plan? You know, another scripture that helps us to understand that God does have a plan is in Proverbs 29, 18. He says, where there's no prophetic vision, and that simply just means where there's no guidance from God. There's no divine guidance. The people perish and cast off restraint. We see that all throughout our nation today, where churches are being turned into um, a restaurants and in and, and, and different places where they're no longer a house of worship. Uh, because because we've, we have to understand that it's, it's something that just that ties us to the vision of the church far more than just the pastor's ideas and plans. There has to be that, that relying upon God's divine guidance. And so when we kind of make God's presence like paramount and center, we open ourselves to saying, Lord, you are our shepherd. You will lead us and you will guide us. And in that, guys, you have to be extremely flexible. There's nothing I can't stand more than Christians who can't learn how to bend. Because God is always changing things and plans. Or maybe he's just showing us other shades of that plan that we're not seeing when we first saw it. And so we have to be flexible because we see in part and we don't always get the full picture. Uh, But yet God... It's, it's better for us as a church to rely upon the leadership of God than it is and to make room for God than it is to just make plans and strategy. How do we win people? I don't know. Every place that I've seen in the Word of God, um, He does just a good job of that Himself when He's exalted. Uh, so, presence. And you-
Daryl just kind of segued actually into purpose. He was talking about the purposes of God as far as that those are the ones that will endure. And so the next point being purpose um, and understanding the purposes of God. Um, you touched on Proverbs twenty nine eighteen 18, um, that where there is no vision, the people perish. The word vision actually means um, prophetic and divine vision, and it especially relates to future events. And so it's being guided with a future vision of like, what is this unto? You know, for all of us, you know, we're talking in the context of a, a church, a praying community here. But even for all of you, the Lord wants you to be led by vision for your life. Of that there's something you're moving towards. And if you look at biblically, if you think about like Adam and Eve, like God was speaking purpose over them. He was saying, be fruitful and multiply. He called them to subdue the earth. He was giving them a place of rulership. He was saying, this is your identity. This is your calling. If you look at Abraham, as far as the, the calling upon Abraham's life, that his children would be as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And just speaking of the lineage that would come from him, there's that place of saying this, uh, he's setting vision before you. And that is not something that we should despise. That's something that we should seek and we should look for to be guided by. And ultimately, the interesting thing is that you can see when it's a vision that God places in your heart because it doesn't change and it doesn't waver and it's not, it's something that you can lock on to. And the interesting thing is like us as a, as a church community, when I was 16 years old, I actually read a book called The Light and the Glory. And when, as I read, if, for those of you that haven't read it, it's um, by David Manuel and Peter Marshall. It gives some of the Christian history of the United States. So it was at that time when I was reading it, for me at 16, uh, all of a sudden, like, light bulb went on, my eyes were open of, this was God's intended purpose for America. Like, it's laid out when you study the history of our nation that God had a dream for America. So when John Withrop was aboard the Arabella, and he's coming over on the Arabella, he writes something called a model for Christian charity. He literally lays out, this is going to be the form and the structure of our society. This is how we're going to function. This is who we're going to be. God was giving him a dream. God was putting in their heart the dream of a new world, and they, he was laying out. And do you know what he said in the model for Christian charity? He said, Matthew 5, 14, for we shall be a city set upon a hilltop and a light to all peoples. He was laying out that this new world would literally be used. They weren't just coming to settle. They weren't just coming to enjoy life and try to make themselves prosperous. They had a vision of literally being light to the world of what the founding of this new nation would be. And so when you begin to study the history and you become, become awakened and aware of going, God had a desire, God had a purpose. And I can remember being 16 years old and thinking, all I want is to see God's dream come to pass for New England. And the interesting thing is that when you study further, when you look at, if you look at Jonathan Edwards, he wrote something called a humble attempt. And in a humble attempt is actually where he shares that out of New England would come an extraordinary move of prayer that would bring the gospel to the nations of the earth. Then John Armott comes to New England to launch the, the second volunteer missions movement. You can look all through history and you can see the fingerprints of God, that there's intended purpose, that there, we weren't just founded for an ambiguous kind of vague you know, whatever. It was with an intended purpose in mind. And so we lock in and we say, what was God's purpose and intent? And whatever that is, so we're not looking to make a plan and have God bless it. We're looking to say, God, what is your desire? What is your dream? 
And we want to see that come to pass. And so with this issue of purpose is that we highly value the prophetic. And that's the place of simply discerning what is God's will, finding out what is God's will, and pursuing his will. And you actually find that that is what Jesus lived for. He lived to do the will of his father. If you look at the identity and purpose spoken of Jesus, he was born that he would reconcile man to God. He was born to seek and save that to seek and save that which is lost. There's that place of saying, "This is your purpose." And so, we as a community of people, you know, at 16, I, you know, I'm, I was dreaming of like New England once again being the light to the nations of the earth that it was intended to be. How many of you guys know? You guys are in a place that is a hub of influence, whether it's thoughts, ideas, inventions, whatever it may be. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you today that you're not here just to earn a paycheck. That you're not just here to find a cute mate. That you're here for the purposes of seeing the gospel exponentially increase and go to the nations of the earth. That you're born with high... And I want to encourage every person here, if you don't have a high vision for your life, I understand not all of us are going to be Billy Grahams. I understand not all of us are going to necessarily have a public vocation like that. But have a high vision of and, and get a hold of what is God's dream for your life. Because it's not simply that at the end of your days that, you know, you learned to run a 5K and then you died. You got five degrees and then you died. You know, there's an eternal purpose that God wants to release through your life. And so here at Hilltop Church, if you ever wonder, like, why is the preaching so fiery? And why are they trying to get me out of my slumber and my sleep? And why are they always trying to provoke me? It's because you're called to do great things. And as the church, I'm going to be honest with you, we're going to go over this later, is that our calling is really to equip you. Equip you, train you, enable you, empower you to be ministers of the gospel. So if you're looking like, we're not really good at evangelism here. Well, get out there and preach the word. You know what? You in your workplace should be a light. You in your school. You in your family. It's that place of saying it's not really the job of the church to do it. It's all of us as people that become ministers of the gospel. And it's us living, number one, as a church. I can honestly say we're named Hilltop because the intended purpose of Boston was to be a city sent upon a hill and a light to all people. And so if you wonder, like, why are they really into, like, themes like light and salt? And it's because it's in Matthew 5, is that... God's word says you are to be an agent of change. So when you understand that that's how we're viewing the lens of what God has called us here to do and what he desires to birth out of this region, the nations of the earth are coming and they're not coming for a degree. They're coming for the fire of God. I believe that word. Derek Prince actually saw a map. This is when he was a resident in England. He saw a map, and while he was still in Europe, he saw a map of the United States, and he actually said that out of Boston, he saw a flame of fire erupt, and fire went around the globe. And so it's understanding your life is a life of influence. Your life is not a life of insignificance. Your life is not a life that you're just supposed to get through and get by. There's a place of influence that he wants to release the kingdom through you. Well said. Um, you know, I have never met any believer even in my own life, who, um, who value the presence of God have never been led to the purposes of God or the causes of God. Um, it's, it just doesn't happen that way biblically, historically, and even now. 
And, and I think sometimes we get so locked into like purpose means like what we do as pastors. Uh, but like Bethany said, our job primarily is just to equip the people of God to do the work of God. Of course we do the work of God. We're not sent. Um, but yet, uh, if you're inactive, yeah, I just lost myself. <laughs> Hello. Okay. It's all right. We'll, we'll manage. Um, if, if you're inactive, uh, you know, in your purposes, then I would, I would, I would go back to the presence of God because there's, there's, there's something that will come out of it. You know, John chapter 15 is actually what's in, uh, next to my notes. And we, we know the context of John 15, right? Because you've probably heard it a lot within this um, congregation. Uh, but yet again, you see the issue of bearing fruit, which I don't know about you, is a pretty, um, you know, kind of <laughs> ongoing topic in the New Testament. Guys, listen to me. Listen, just, just get out of your head a little bit and just kind of tune in to this broadcast station. Um, the issue is an issue of bearing fruit, and we can all say confidently that we are called as believers to bear fruit regardless. Okay? Um, and, and ultimately, I think that's what purpose looks like, is to be fruit bearers. Why? Because in bearing fruit, God is what? Okay, two of you know. God is what? Okay. And so Jesus said this, and, and, and just a great kind of picture of where we see presence birthing purpose. Listen to me. Presence of God birthing or giving or bearing fruit uh, of fruitfulness, excuse me. And so Jesus said in Matthew 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, um, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, from apart from my presence, you can do nothing. Some of you really scratch your head and, you know, you're like, well, I, I, you know, you, 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 we wrestle sometimes. We're like, why aren't we bearing fruit in the workplace? Why can't I share? Well, I, I, would, I would go back to the root. What, where, where are you in abiding in the presence of God? Where are we in abiding? Because, again, the results of believers who abide are that they become fruit bearers. They produce things. They're not just inactive, waiting for God to flip the switch. God, just give me a heart. Give me the right words. No, that's not the way it works, friend. Uh, and so the issue of purpose is it's directly connected to our abiding in God because God puts things in our hearts as we wait and as we're in his presence. Bethany has said that there was one person that she had met along her journey that said, pay attention to your tears and your prayers. For in that you find the heart of God. You find purpose. You find the things that God would send you off and, and, and to do. And we're not, we're not reduced, guys, because we're not full-time uh, in the ministry. We're not pastors. You're not reduced today in the area of purpose or bearing fruit because you don't preach or you're not a pastor or whatever it is, an evangelism. We are a Bob uh, Winder. He said, he rebuked us. He said, full-time ministers, raise your hand. There's like three people raising hands. He's like, what? And he just drilled us. He said, listen, you are all called to full-time ministry. The thought pattern in the Western world that, you know, well, it's just the pastor's job. Really? Of course, we play our part. We play a role. I'm not inactive. I share my faith. 
But it's not the pastor's job, it's us. We find purpose in being activated in God's presence. And then it just comes down or boils down to an issue of obedience. Um, So anyways, purpose. Mm -hmm. Purpose. Anything else, babe? Do you want to say on that? People. Hello. Hello. Okay. It's all right. It's all right. I was just fooling around. I was fooling around just trying to have fun. So this leads us to the third P. Everybody said, is everybody okay? Okay, just tap your neighbor. Say, hi, neighbor. Go ahead. It's all right. Tap your other one and say, thank you for coming to church today. If uh, we could try to get that mic working, because I'd like to field some questions, uh, maybe towards the end. Yep, the people, we will. We got time. We got time. Yeah. Is everybody all right? Everybody cool? Everybody good? Okay. So people, uh, all these, it's funny, just kind of having this discussion, they're so connected to one another, you know, um, even how people are really our purpose, you know, we, much, uh, we, we, we find in scripture that we're to go in to what, be the light, we're to go and not hide this light that we've been given, Christ inside us, we're not to hide it under a basket, we're to let it shine. You know, and so um, we find that our role on the earth in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said this, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Listen to Paul in first Corinthians nine nineteen through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I'm sorry, outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those, those people, outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. You want to find purpose. (laughs) You want to know what our purpose is as believers. Guys, it's not complex. You don't need to go to another seminar or conference to get it. We, we simply reproduce in others what started in us. I'm so grateful for those who had shared the gospel along my journey because I would not be here today if they didn't. And much like they played a significant role in my life, you will play a role in others. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of a righteous... I'm sorry. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And whoever captures or wins souls is wise. Your purpose is to be bearers of the image of Christ, preaching the gospel, not... I'm sorry. Our, our goal for people is to go after them, be bearers, be proclaimers of the gospel to all creation. And in that, we find purpose. 
Um, so Daryl just really touched on a couple of verses pertaining to reaching the lost. And actually in John, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15, we actually find that there's three different um, parables or stories that are told where really the heart of God is revealed. And in all three of them, number one, it's the, the parable of going after the lost sheep. And the second, it's the par- parable of going after the lost coin. And then the third, it's the parable of going after the lost son. And it's that place where he cares about the individual that he's looking at and he's jealous for and he's, he's passionate about the individual. In James chapter 1, verse 27, it says that pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit the poor and the widow in their time of trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So most of us would really, if, we, if, if someone were to ask you, what is pure and undefiable religion? We kind of all have our paradigm of what that might look like. Well, it looks like I'm supposed to, you know, all those things. And if you think about it here, it's being defined. It's defined by the issue of people, of caring for people. Because in a, in a very broad sense, you might hear messages here that are talking about like praying for the city, praying for universities, praying for the Northeast, those kind of very broad topics But if you think about it in this essence, when you're praying for a campus, you're just praying for individual lives, individual people. Like when we're praying for Cambridge, it's not necessarily the the geographical location. It's the individuals that are residing there. And that's what God's heart is after and that he's looking upon. And as we as a community, that it can never be about organization and structure. It can never, we can never kind of get lost in that big picture of things, of kind of the broad strokes. It's looking at the individual lives and how we are caring, how we are stewarding. And I would ask you today, who are you sowing into? Like, who is someone that you, you can honestly say that you are sowing into their life? Whether it be through acts of kindness, it might not even be someone that's saved. It might just be sowing good seed of caring. But who is someone, because to be a, a healthy people, not only are you receiving, but you're also giving. You're, you, you should be giving somewhere. I would encourage you, I actually love, let's just acknowledge David and Katya. I can't tell you how many times they'll come to me about different people of like, I want to spend time with so-and-so and I want to disciple so-and-so. Taking time, it's not organized. It's not because of small group. It's not because they're being paid. It's just, they really have a heart to meet one-on-one and walk people through the word. They really have a heart to disciple people. And so I want to encourage you. You might think, well, I'm new. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're new. If you you know the ABCs of that Jesus died for your sins, and if you've experienced his presence in any measure, you can share that with someone, and you can walk along with them and pray for them and encouragement, encourage them. So be an encouragement to someone else, and look for ways. Like The question is, who are you discipling? Who are you sowing into in your life? Um, okay, so with that, uh, I think it would be good. It would be awesome if we could maybe get into some question and answer time. Um, you know, I know this kind of puts you on the spot, but if there's anything, do you want to save that for the end? Do you want to? I I think it might be easier because some of their questions that they might have might be being answered. That's why I'm Okay. Thorough. I'm. Thorough. (laughs) Thorough. Um, So we're just going to, because, you know, we just talked about really vision of this is what we want to see and this is why we're here. So now we're going to lay out for you how does that happen and how, what is the outworking of that? How do we accomplish that? Because it's, 
I, I actually bought a mug for someone for Christmas. It said, I am a dreamer and I am a doer. Come on. Like you can dream, but dreaming happens while you're lying down and you are asleep. It's then time to wake up and do something. <laughs> so, you know, we as a congregation of people, we want to be dreamers and doers. So get up and put some feet <laughs> to your vision. So we're actually going to go over of kind of how we implement and how we're working out some of these things. But um, in order to do that, so we're not stopping along the way, why don't we introduce um, some of our leaders? Actually, we have um, Gary McDonald is here. His wife is in. You want to stand up and give us a wave? Gary and Kathy. Our elders um, in our church who we love and respect, and they're a wonderful voice of wisdom. Um, I can actually remember when they first started attending, I knew of them, and we have mutual friends, and I've had a a respect for them over the years, just knowing them throughout New England ministry. Um, But I can remember certain young people would come to me and say, oh, when that older couple walked in, I just wanted to like sit on their lap and snuggle, like just so excited to see... (laughs) No, elders in the faith, and it's it's healthy for us to be able to glean wisdom for those that have gone before us and, and have wisdom. So let's just um, go ahead and why don't we have our leadership team stand up. We'll have Ricardo and Daniela and the Fartex and Sarah. Stand to your feet so I don't have to call everybody's name. <laughs> I'm like, stand to your feet. So these are the people that are pretty much overseeing areas of ministry. They're overseeing teams of people. They're helping us to oversee and really execute vision in a very... Yeah. Yes, Will is in Jersey. He's smitten. He's with his girlfriend. <laughs> no, he's not. He's in Jersey. <laughs> Yes, Will's not here. Um, But really, these are the people that are helping to make it happen at the end of the day. Uh, Bella is downstairs. She's in children's ministry making it happen. (laughs) Yeah, so in small, we'll kind of go out throughout throughout and introduce small group leaders. So I can't write too big. Actually, I think I think Matthew is going to assist me. Oh yay! Okay, so I I can actually write small so that and then Matthew can just do it. So what we have here on any given Sunday morning is we have guests that come and arrive, and all of you at one point started as a guest, right? You came here. The question is, did you feel welcome? Did you feel at home? Like, you have to think about all of those things because that's actually what you want to be for someone else. You, you want to create that environment where they're feeling welcomed and, you know, we want to create an environment of hospitality. But ultimately, you, you either came as a guest and you did not dig it here. <laughs> that might be some of you here today, which that's okay. You've got to find your tribe. <laughs> you <gotta> find... <laughs> Every church has a different expression. Um, so you come as a guest, and, but for many of you that are here, you came as a guest, and you went, okay, this feels like my family. This feels like home to me. This, I'm seeing actually David and Katya. They, I, we should actually have you guys do a Sunday and, and just share your testimony. They have a beautiful testimony. They had visited many churches when they first moved um, to the city. And they came to our house meeting, and they said from the first visit, they were like, we're home. This is what we were looking for. No other house meeting, though. Some of those house meetings were awesome. They were. 
That was actually, actually, I, um, Anna and Fabiano, I think it was the very first time I met them. I like introduced myself. What's your name? Hi. You know, I'm like hugging them and they're like, this is our church. <laughs> and I love it when people are just such clear communicators like that. Cause then you're like, okay, let me get together with you this week. Since we're now family and we are going for the long haul together. <laughs> I desire to get you out of guest mode or just move you on. Because as you can see, we need the rope. It's okay, Linda. It's going to be alright. So, but. <laughs> um. But really, to be honest, from that place of guest mode, you know, Daryl had, had said as far as um, how to transition people, we do have something called first steps. And that's actually a way that if you have questions kind of about where we stand in doctrine and theology and kind of what is our background, who is our leadership, who is our covering, those kind of things, at first steps, you can have those answered. So next steps, next steps. sorry, not first steps, next steps. I don't go to that meeting, apparently. <laughs> Um, but you would, if, if you choose to make this home, you go from guest to attendee. Woo! You start attending, which means you're here, you're present, we're seeing your face, we're learning your name. With attendee, that might mean that you're attending prayer meetings, so we get to know you a little bit more. That might mean that you're attending a small group. It really just means that there's a place of relationship and you are known and this is a place where you are attending. Um, like I said, this would involve um, prayer. This would involve small groups. Um, but really, there's another phase, and I'm running out of space here, but another phase from attending where we move on to really those that are members of a family. And you know what, you know what makes and distinguishes a member is I have children that attend my home. <laughs> they come and visit my home. I know their face. When they're there, I take care of them like they're, they're my own. I feed them. I take good care of them. I nurture them. But guess what? They're not my family. And so at the end of the day, when I put out broccoli for dinner, when that little attendee child <laughs> says, I don't like broccoli, I just simply go, okay, that's fine. Your mommy can deal with your nutrition. Like, well, that's up to her. <laughs> you're, not my, you're, you're not my problem. <laughs> but you know what? When it comes to my own son, because there's a place of ownership that I feel responsible for my kid, when my son says that he's not going to eat his broccoli, then I say, okay, then no sugar. These, these are your choices. If you're going to go without broccoli, this is what this looks like for a non-broccoli eater. You know... <laughs> No, 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 because he's a part of my family. And you know what that also means? It also means that when there's a mess in his room that I actually say, no, you don't get to play on your iPad. No, you don't get to do this until your mess is cleaned. I can't do that to an attendee. The attendee comes and visits, visits and they usually actually make a mess and then they leave it. Or I could say, help him clean his room. That's a nice attendee thing to do. And actually, if they don't want to, there's no consequence. I'm not putting the attendee child <laughs> in time out for, but you know what? The child that belongs to me, he's a member of my family. Number one, there's an investment that's there that I am making into him because we are walking together and I am, and in some degree, I'm responsible for the outcome of his life. <laughs> I will be held accountable if he's not a good citizen. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's very similar to church life and church family. 
We love attendees, come eat with us, come dine with us, but at the end of the day, there really is no place of accountability or mentoring or discipleship that takes place. You can hear it on a Sunday morning, you can walk out and say, I choose not to take that truth and I'm all set with that, but you know what, when you're a member, there's a place where we start really wrestling through certain things. And if there's behavior that's taking place or there's places that we need to grow in character, I have a completely different relationship with some people where I can actually say, oh, oh, the way you talk to that person wasn't nice. That's not how we talk. Because you know what? As someone that's a member of my family, I'm helping them along the way. But you know what? If you're an attendee and if I hear you talk to someone very rude and inconsiderate, I'll just walk by and think, well, you are rude. <laughs> it's, I mean, the same thing. I Honestly, think about it in that context of family. When I have that little attendee child, I am not going to walk and nurture and think, well, you have really bad manners. I'm not going to fix their manners in a day. So I'm just going to walk and think, well, you have bad manners. Good luck with the mother that has to raise you. You know, (laughs) but with my child, I can say you're accountable. This is how we speak. This is what we do. And really, you know what it is in family? There's that place where you're committed to one another. Of saying, I'm committed. This is my home. This is my family. And you know what happens with family? There's responsibility. And really, that's what happens with church membership, is it's a place where you go from attending to you actually go to serving. You start serving, because you know what? You show up and you think, this is my house. And this is what needs to be done at my house. And I want to take care of my house. I want to see my house healthy. And I want to see my house clean. And I want to see my house hospitable. It really begins to take on the identity of the members. Because when you see a need, you then begin to fill it. So what membership really looks like is it's those people that are saying, this is my family. And in that place, there's so much room for growth. How many of you, just a show of hands, how many of you from being a part of a community of people where you're actually walking with people, you've actually noticed a difference in your emotional health? Like real, right, right, come on, right. Emotional health. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, it's not like, oh, I just get offended and I didn't like it, so I moved on. I went, okay, I'm going to work with these people. I'm committed. I'm going to listen. I'm going I'm to forgive. Forgiveness right there alone It's going to make you a very mature individual, just learning how to forgive. So instead of the whole, if it's not my way, it's the highway, and I'm out of here. And No, no, no. You forgive, and then you move on, and you mature emotionally when you do that. So that's what it is to be members of a family. And you know what's amazing is that when you're a member, because you're serving, and you're not only a part, you then start leading You start leading things. You start leading a prayer set. You start leading a small group. There's a place where we're mentoring and discipling you so that you can lead effectively. And you know what happens from membership is then ministers. This is where when... I know it's not working, but that's okay. But he's got it. Ministers. There's then ministers. This is where if we're looking to do a satellite church and plant in Beacon Hill or plant in another place, you look at... Who's been faithful in serving and who actually knows the logistics of how to run a service? I mean, where are you going to pull those people from? If somebody doesn't understand the logistics of PowerPoint and all of the things that go into caring for a community of people, 
There, there's a place where there's no framework or understanding. Who has been faithful? There's the issue of who has been faithful even in tithing, the place of where your heart is, your treasure lies also. That if you're invested in a place, you want to give and sow into the building of that community. And so ultimately the goal is to see all of us as ministers. And not saying that like when you're serving and doing this and disciple, being discipled and all of that, that automatically you're going to become the next church planter. The word of God is very clear that it's God who promotes. And there's timing, there's issues of timing and and just waiting upon God for his purposes and all of those kinds of things. But the ultimate goal is not that you stay a guest. (laughs) The ultimate goal also isn't that you just stay an attendee. The ultimate goal is even for some of you, it might not even be ministry in the sense of church planting. For some of you, you might have a vision to start homes, safe homes for girls that have come out of sex trafficking. But you know what? It's in the place of community where you find other like-minded people, where you find resource, where you find the prayer backing, where you find the collaboration of saying, hey, we're a community of people that can get behind that. I can't tell you how many times I meet young people and they go off on all their vision of what they're going to do. And I go, what community are you a part of? Um... Um, and I think, good luck with that. <laughs> you, yourself, and you. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> but you know what I love is then we have other people that come along. <laughs> it's cute. It's really cute. It's just an immature thing, that's all. But um, there's other people that they're part of family. They're invested. When they have an idea, you know what we do? We go, how can we invest in that? How can we give you money? How can we build a team around you? What can we do to see that vision happen? Because there's a place where there's ownership and family that's taken place. And you know what? There's also trust because you've seen the character of that person. You've seen them walk. You've seen them steward. And now you say, let's make that happen. You have something you want to do? Uh, I know everybody's getting nervous. It's 12 o'clock. We're, listen, I mean, we, we, we worship long. We preach long. Uh, and if, that's, if that interrupts our, our, our oh. schedules, it's one day a week, Sunday, it's no big deal. I mean, we give an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, don't get nervous. It's okay. You're going to leave. Nobody's going to leave. Um, but beautiful, uh, you know, I think that, uh, well, I, I'm not going to add to it. I don't think there's anything to really add to it. Uh, and so this, Bethany, would you say that this is kind of like the protocol? Kind of like yeah, I would say if you're here and you're an, a, a guest, go to... What's it called? Next steps. <laughs> Go to next steps. I want to say first steps. Um, but you know what? The other thing, too, is Daryl and I, are, there's two things. We're actually starting in a new initiative for people that are members that we identify that there's just need for more connection. We're doing a once-a-month Friday night meeting for developing leaders. It's a leadership development. Um, so that's a good on-ramp for people. We also are working on a summer program for those of you that are really have a heart for missions. We're working on a summer training. It's a tour of... Um, campuses and revival history, missions history, to really mobilize the people in our community that have a heart for missions. But I would just say, you know, you basically plug into um, first steps, next steps. 